are listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralstanford.net slash students. All right. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Also, so just so you guys know, um, we got, we're on Spotify now, which is cool. Yeah, we're on, what, 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 Aaron, what are the different things we have if you're still in here? Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast, sweet. So, Sounds good to me. So, yeah. So just so you guys are aware, uh, and the reason I bring that up is basically if you ever, you know, like want to go back and listen to the message or something, because I know that a lot of times it could be like drinking from a water, from like a fire hydrant, you know, it's like, uh, and I get it. Um, But if there's uh, ever times where you want to be able to go back and listen, or maybe you want to like share it with somebody that you know, feel free to do that. Um, that's, That's what that's there for. So it's Central Students. Uh, you'll see Central Students on Spotify and all those and all those other things, and basically you'll know that it's us because it has our logo on it. So, uh, so that is my little shameless plug there. But Second Corinthians chapter five, we're actually going to start in verse seventeen. But before we do that, I want to—I think it's important for us to kind of make sure that we know where it is that we are, right? So, in chapter three of Second Corinthians, Paul is uh, explaining his ministry, right? He's explaining what it is that he is doing, what, he, what it is that God has called him to do. And then he goes on in uh, chapter 4. Uh, this is, these are the things, and we've talked about this, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to hope to jog your memory a little bit. In chapter 4, uh, Paul goes on and he explains how it is that he shares the gospel, right? He goes, that I have refused underhanded ways. I refuse to tamper with the gospel, right? We talked about this, how we should have confidence in the message, right? That Paul had confidence in the message of the gospel, knowing that it is at its strongest and most powerful when it is given plainly as it is. And then he also said that he has confidence in God in giving that message. And then uh, after that, he talked about, the, you know, there's some hardships that come with that, right? And, and how does he stay encouraged in the midst of those hardships? We talked about that, right? How, how, how he stays encouraged even though the things around him are, tr- are trying to discourage him. And he talks about, though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. And then last week, we talked about the ultimate encouragement that we have as Christians is what? It's, it's eternity, right? It's heaven. It's knowing the fact that our, as soon as we close our eyes on this earth, we open them in glory with our Father who is in heaven. And knowing that we have a better future ahead of us. But here's the question. Since we, yeah, like we, we want to fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but what is unseen, right? And, and, and all those different things. But the question is, what do we do while we're here? Right? Like we talk about, yeah, we want to look to the future. We want to look to what it is that God has called us to do. But the question then is how do we do that while at the same time staying focused on what it is God has called us to do now? Because, newsflash, none of us in this room are in e- are with Christ in eternity yet, right? None of us are in heaven with God yet. So clearly there's something that we need to keep in mind, we need to understand while we are here. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, uh, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you know me, uh, and maybe, maybe I've talked about this a handful of times, uh, but I really, really enjoy the show The Office. I don't know. Yes. Thank you, Keelan, getting excited about that, right? And you can, if you're booing, uh, we'll pray for you later. That's fine. Uh, so uh, I love the show The Office. And there is an episode, and it's in the later seasons, which aren't that great. Uh, but there's a guy who is like, uh, who's like the boss. His name's Charles, okay? Uh, and, and he is, basically, he gives one of the, the, like the main characters, Jim, he gives them an assignment. He tells him to do something. He says, Jim, I need, the, I need you to give me a rundown of all of our like top clients or whatever. And Jim's like, okay, cool. And basically, the rest of the episode is Jim having no idea what a rundown means, right? Yeah, it's like, I have no idea what that means. So he's like, hey, give me that rundown. He's like, yeah, I'm on it. But it's like he refuses to ask what a rundown is, and it's just like the most stressful thing in the world to watch because I'm like, home slice, just ask, right? Like, it's not hard, but he just refuses to ask, and what happens is you see how he's totally stressed out because he's been asked to do something, and he has no idea what it is. He has no idea what it is, and I think a lot of us as Christians, that's kind of how we live our life a little bit. Like, I know I should be doing something, like, I know that I should be doing something. I know that Scripture has tons of things in it talking about that I should be focused on as a Christian. But honestly, I have no idea what any of that really means. Like, I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. Right? What is it that I am supposed to do? And I want us to understand that. And I'm going to kind of give you the answer up front. And then we're going to kind of dive into it a little bit more. And the, this pa- passage makes it pretty clear. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the answer. You and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And now some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. And you know what? I'm so glad that you asked. What does that mean? What does that mean? And and this is actually, Paul actually explains this in verses 14 through 17. But we're just going to kind of focus because he kind of like sums it up in verse 17 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And here's the thing that we need to understand. Before we can understand what this ministry of reconciliation looks like, we need to know the God of reconciliation. We need to know what reconciliation even is. If this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm supposed to minister to people, I'm supposed to take this message to people, I need to understand what it is. So the, question, the first thing of knowing the God of reconciliation is we need to know what reconciliation is. We need to know what it is that he's talking about. And when we say that we have been reconciled to God, what we are talking about is the, we're talking about the fact that, of, that we are made right with God. 
right? I talk about this a lot, how, you know, and, and this is basically just the gospel, right? How we were dead in our sins and how God made us alive in Christ, how we are forgiven of our sins, and how you and I can be made right with God. That is what reconciled means, that we have been made right with God. The word reconciled actually in the Greek, which is the original language that this was written in, uh, the word reconciled here is uh, katalasso, which I totally butchered the pronunciation of that. I know I did. But basically, the, it literally the word means exchange. It literally means to exchange, especially when it has to do with, like, money, right? So, like, I'm exchanging this for this. It's like a transaction. And the thought here is the idea that God has allowed us the opportunity to exchange a relationship of being his enemy with, I can exchange that for a relationship of being his child. This idea that all of us outside of Christ, the Bible says, are enemies of God. I think a lot of times we like to think that we're kind of you know, if, if you're not a Christian, or we just think of people who are not Christians in general, even like wonderfully nice people. We're just like, you know what, they're just kind of indifferent to God. But scripture is clear that you are either a child of God or you are an enemy of God. And what, what God has provided for you and for me is he has provided the opportunity for us to exchange that relationship with the relationship of being his child. Which is an amazing thought. Right, this is beautifully explained in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when we talk about this idea of we have been reconciled to God, we're talking about this process. This process of how we were once far off. We were once far off from God. We were enemies of God, running in the opposite direction, and how we have now been brought in, brought near. He has made us his children, his child, that we can be friends of God. But even more so, we're talking about going from being enemies to being children. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. However, he has made it possible for you and me to be his child. And when we talk about reconciliation, that is what we mean. That is what we are talking about. So we now we understand what reconciliation is. Now we have to ask ourselves, we have to look at the God who reconciles. How are we reconciled? Who is it that does this? Because if I am given this ministry of reconciliation, I need to know as much about it as I possibly can. But let's look at the passage. What is it that Paul talks about here? He says all of this. When he says all of this in verse 18, he's talking about how we are reconciled, right? He's talking about, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Like He's talking about how we have been made right with God. So all of this, how we are reconciled, is the first thing is from God. It's very important for us to understand that. All of this is from, all these things are from God. And something that is very important for you to know and for me to know is that God is the one who reconciles sinful man back to himself. God is the one that reconciles the relationship between sinful man and holy God. Not you and not me. We do not reconcile ourselves to God. I think it's very important for us to understand that you and I do not reconcile ourselves to God, but it is God who reconciles us to him. 
Why is this? Because our God by nature is a saving God. It is who he is. We talk about he is holy and he is righteous and he is just. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is gracious. And we have to also understand that he is a God who saves. It's all throughout the Bible. Right? God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He saved David and Israel from Goliath and the Philistines. He saved Moses from Pharaoh through the Nile River, uh, through, the, uh, through the Red Sea. Uh, yeah, he saved Moses uh, from Pharaoh, sorry, uh, when his mother play, uh, placed uh, Moses in the basket in the Nile River. He saved Joseph from the pit. He saved Paul from his life of murder and spiritual blindness. He saved David from King Saul seeking to kill him. He saved Noah and his family from the flood. He saved Jonah from the ocean in the big fish. He saves his people even today. Make no mistake that our God is still in the business of saving people. I think a lot of times we have this idea of God kind of like, you know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're walking down the street and there's like a house and like, like old man Johnson lives there. And like old man Johnson, like back in the day, boy, whew, you don't want to mess with old man Johnson. Like he, he did some amazing stuff back in the day. You should just sit down and listen to the stories that he has. I mean, yeah, you know, he's kind of old and feeble now, but man, back in the day, he was amazing. But he's very inviting if you want to go in and hear his stories, his old, his old amazing stories. And you know what? That's awesome and that's wonderful, but we need to know that that is not our God. That our God is just as powerful now as he was when he split the Red Sea. He is just as powerful now as he was when he created the universe with the sound of his voice. That we are reconciled to God. We are made right with God because he is a powerful, saving God. Psalm 68, 20, our God is a God of salvation. And while the world around you and the world around us may seem to be going to hell in a handbasket, and in a lot of ways it is, we must remember that our God is still a saving God, and there are still people that are being added to the kingdom of God every day. Do not be discouraged by the craziness that you see. You need to know that God is still fully capable of saving people. And he is still saving people. There's people in this room that God has probably saved you recently. And that's amazing. This past Sunday, we got to celebrate 17 people being baptized. That's awesome. 17 people proclaiming how Christ has brought them from being dead in their sins to being alive in him. That is incredible. Our God is still saving today. And aren't you glad that our God doesn't fade in his ability to save? Isaiah 59.1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why do I emphasize this? You're like, what does this have to do with me, Mike? I want you to understand this is vitally important because you need to know that you and I cannot reconcile anyone to God. That is not what we do. When we talk about Christ has given us this ministry of reconciliation, you need to know that we cannot make anyone right with God. We can't make ourselves right with God. It is God who makes this happen. Also, it's important for us and for others to understand that we cannot devise our own ways to be made right with God. I cannot decide for myself how I want to be made right with God. 
I cannot tell somebody how they can be right with God and kind of like, you know, make it up as I go or however they want to be made right. No, there is one way that we are made right with God, and it's through Christ. God is the one who makes the terms for how we are reconciled. Why is that? Because it's against him that we have sinned. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. So if you and I, like, if you and I got into a fight, right, and, like, not like a fist fight or whatever, but, like, like we were, like, arguing and we had a, a severe disagreement. And then you're, like, you know what? Like, poop on you. I don't like you anymore. I'm, like, fine. I don't like you anymore either, right? And we just kind of, like, split ways. And we're, like, you know what? That relationship, that friendship, that whatever it is, is over. And let's just say, like, down the road, we're, like, you know what? I really want to, like, reconcile that relationship. I want to kind of make things right. So what we do is we get together and we talk. And you know what? We kind of talk about, all right. So we kind of talk about what each one of us needs to do to reconcile that relationship, right? Why? Because both of us did things we probably shouldn't have done. Both of us have made mistakes. I sinned against you. You sinned against me. And you know what? We both compromise on what we feel we need to do to make that relationship right. And you need to know that it is only us that has ruined the relationship with God. God has not been faithless to us. We have been faithless to him. That our sin is what has caused the fracture in our relationship. If God is the one, we have sinned against God, he has not sinned against us. So he is the one who sets the standard of how we're made right with him. He is the one who determines what has to be done for that relationship to be mended. And how is that? Let's keep on going. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ. The question is, how does he do this? He does this through Christ. You see that people are seeking many ways to be made right with God. If you don't believe me, look at all the religions today. Even people who really don't really have a, a religious affiliation or even people in the church, what they do is they feel like to be made right with God, it's their church attendance, it's their reading their Bible, it's their prayer, it's their efforts, it's doing these good things. If you don't believe me, when you ask somebody, why do you think you're going to go to heaven, they always say one of two things. One, I feel like I've done my best to try and be a good person. Or they're going to say, well, I haven't done a whole lot of bad things. It's always having to do with the things that they've done. People are constantly trying to mend their relationship with God by their efforts. However, Scripture is clear that there is only one way that we are made right with God, and that's through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the way that you and I can be made right with God is because Jesus has separated our sins from us by taking the full wrath of God upon himself on our behalf. Therefore, he does not count our sins against us. We talk about this every week. And some of you are like, yo, I'm tired of hearing about this. You know what? No, no. If you're a Christian, you don't get tired of hearing this. This is the best news you could possibly think of. Right? Like last night, I got to watch the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup, which was flipping awesome, right? And I was like, yeah. And I was just watching, like, interviews all night and all this stuff, and I never got tired of watching them celebrate. Why? Because I was passionate about that. How much more passionate should I be about the story of how I am saved from my sins? 
Psalm 103.10, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because of Jesus. We have been made right. Now, so now that we understand what this, what this reconciliation is, now we need to know what part do we play. Because the rest of our lives is dedicated to this. We've talked about the God of reconciliation. Now we talk about the ministry of reconciliation. We keep on going. Verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. See, now that we understand this message, we need to spend the rest of our time understanding what it is that we're called to do with this message. Here's the thing. This passage makes this very, very clear. To all who have been reconciled, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you have been saved, if you have been made right, made right with God, you now have been given the responsibility of taking that message to a world that desperately needs it. Desperately needs it. Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the thing. Sharing the gospel is not an option. It's not. I don't know why, but for so many of us, we like to think that that's just something that the professionals do. That's just what the professionals do. Like, like people who get paid, like pastors, they get paid for that. You know, that's not my job. No, if you're a Christian, it is your job. I hate to break it to you. No, I'm not trying to say that if you struggle in doing it or you don't know how to do it. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. No, by no means. Look, we grow in understanding how to do that, but you need to take seriously the fact that this is a command to share the gospel. So we should take this seriously. Sharing the gospel is not, uh, is not optional. It is a command. We are instructed to point people to this hope, to tell people how they can be made right with God. This, you know, this, word, uh, this word here in, in verse 20 or not verse 20, sorry, in verse 19, it says, uh, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That word message in the Greek is actually uh, the word logos, right? So logos in the Greek. And what it means there, there's a few different times where you see this used all throughout Scripture, but the idea here is that it is the true embodiment of something, right? So this message of reconciliation, it's not just like this topic. It's not simply a title. That It is, a, it, it is the true embodiment of, of an idea is logos. And it's used in contrast to the term mythos, which is a description of that which is false. Right? We see, where, so, so when we talk about the, the word the, uh, logos, it's also like the word. Okay, where do we see that in the Bible? John 1, correct. John 1. What, what, is, what, what does John 1 say? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Or the word was with God and the word was God. 
right? And it's talking about Jesus there. Talk about how Jesus is the word. And what we need to understand is like the reason that that makes sense is because Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the true embodiment of who God is. Jesus is the embodiment of God in the flesh. He is the true expression of God. And when we talk about this message of how people can be made right with God, let's, let's apply that now. That you and I have the true message of how people can be made right with God because we live in a world where people are following false messages of how they're made right with God. People are seeking and they're listening to false messages of how their soul can be at rest, of how they can find satisfaction and contentment and peace and joy, how they can be made right with the eternal God. And they are following lies. You know that, right? That the people you love that don't know Christ are following a lie. They're following a lie. Millions of people will die for something that isn't true, but nobody dies for something that they know isn't true. They're following lies, and you and I have the truth that they seek. They want to be made right with God, so they find all these other ways, but you and I have the truth of how to be made right with God, and we have been tasked to tell them. The task to tell them. I hear people say all the time that we should not be so divisive on certain topics. That as long as somebody quote unquote unquote believes in Jesus, we should overlook everything else. Now, let me explain this. That while I agree we should never be hateful, we should never be mean-spirited, and we should never be spiteful. When it comes to how men and women are made right with God, we are by definition called to oppose falsehood. By definition, anything that is not the true gospel is sending people to hell. We should take that seriously. So many people just need this truth, and you and I have been tasked to give it to them. And because of this, we're given a, a certain title here in 2 Corinthians. He gives us a title. He says, therefore, we are... What is that word? If you have your Bible, therefore we are what? Ambassadors. Thank you. Someone has their Bible open. All right, therefore, we are ambassadors. Of, we are ambassadors for Christ. And that's the title of this message, Ambassadors for Christ. Because we have been entrusted with this message. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. Here's the question. What does that mean, right? So like in the ancient world, to be an ambassador was a highly important and highly regarded duty, right? It's a very important responsibility. And an ambassador is both a messenger for and a representative of the one who sent them. Likewise, as Christians, you and I are messengers and representatives of the court of heaven. See, just as an ambassador lives in a foreign land, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we live in a foreign land, that being this world. We have been here we have been established here to represent Christ. That an ambassador is a representation of the one that sent them. Have you ever heard of the word like an like you ever heard of an embassy, like the United States embassy? So there's a, we had a group that went to Honduras uh, this year, and because of COVID, they were not allowed to come back into the country, which is like 
wow, that's a problem, right? And so what they did to, or, you know, to get all this figured out, what they did was they went to uh, the United States Embassy in Honduras. And you know what's amazing? As soon as you step foot on, in the United States Embassy in Honduras, you know what, like, legally where you are? You're on American soil, Jack. Like, you're in America, like, when you step foot into the U.S. Embassy in any country, you are in America. The U.S. Embassy and a, and a United States ambassador represents the United States of America wherever they go. They speak on behalf of the United States. They, they speak on behalf of the United States. They, they negotiate on the behalf of the United States. Everything that they do represents the country that sent them. And you and I... You need to understand that Philippians 3.20 makes it clear that you and I are citizens of heaven. And that 1 Peter 2.11 talks about how we are strangers and aliens in this world. We are representing Christ. We are in a foreign land called to represent the king who sent to us. Because we are commissioned as ambassadors for Christ, we must take careful attention to how we live. If you claim to be a Christian, you are representing Christ to a world that has no idea who he is. The question is, are you representing him well? Are you representing him well? Being an ambassador is incredibly high, was an incredibly high privilege. It was not something that was burdensome. It was something that was a task to it was not something that was a task to be dreaded. It was an incredible privilege. In the ancient world, ambassadors were chosen to represent the ascending government. They were chosen for a particular purpose, to take a message to another nation. And even today, ambassadors are the highest rank of diplomatic representative that, the, that the, the, a country has. Considering they were sent in ancient times often to sway foreign governments and to engage in, in discourse and conversation. They were often chosen because of their skills with speaking. They were very skilled and they, were, they were, had the ability to speak well. Their skills are what set them apart to be, not, to be nominated for such a high honor. And you know what's so amazing about this? Is that God, the Father, the, the King of heaven and earth, has chosen you to be an ambassador to the world. And you know what? It's not because of how good you are. See, in the ancient world, they were chosen to be an ambassador because they represented the kingdom well. They spoke well. They had these skills. But you and I were not chosen because we had anything good to offer. He didn't choose you because you had an incredible ability. He didn't choose you. Because you spoke well, he didn't choose you because you were super smart, he didn't choose you. You know what? He chose you because he loves you. And while ambassadors in the ancient world were chosen because of their goodness, you and I were not chosen because of our goodness, we were chosen because of his goodness. And you know what qualifies you to be an ambassador for Christ? You know what qualifies you to be able to take this message of reconciliation to other people? is because you have been reconciled. You have been reconciled. That's what this passage says. Because you have been reconciled, you take this message to other people. If you have not been saved by the blood of Christ, you have no right to talk to somebody about how they can be saved by the blood of Christ. Only someone who is saved can speak to someone about how to be saved. Right? been saved by the blood of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have everything that you need. You have been uniquely gifted with everything you need to share this message with people. You don't have to be anything great. You simply have to be faithful. 
Notice our plea in verse 20. I'm almost done. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, because we are ambassadors for Christ, we deliver the, the, to the people the message that Christ has, right? Like if I represent Jesus, then I should speak the message that Jesus would speak. So what is the message that Jesus spoke? Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. You see, you and I do not come up with our own creative message to give to people. We give the message that our sending king has given us to give. Imagine if a king in the ancient world sent an ambassador on his behalf to speak to another nation, and that ambassador chose to say what he thought was actually more important. What would happen to that representative? It would be a problem, right? It would be a problem. Now, look, there is grace. Like God, we, have, we serve a gracious God. But we need to know that we have a responsibility to represent our God well and to preach the message that he has given us. And Paul uses this word here, implore. The, the, like in the Greek, that literally is like to beg. Now, while you and I may not get on our hands and feet and beg people to be made right with God, here's the question. Do you, in your heart, are you, be, are you willing to be made a fool for the souls of those that you have been called to love? Paul says, because I am an ambassador, because I represent Christ, I'm I beg you, be made right with God. I beg you, be made right with God. I beg you. Now, you may not necessarily literally beg somebody. What I'm trying to tell you is, are you passionate enough about someone and their soul and their eternity to figuratively beg them? Or do you just say, you want to come to church with me? No, nah, I don't like church. All right, cool, son. I'll see you later. Now, again, you're not going to sit with somebody, and, you know, maybe you will. Hey, God can do whatever he wants. But you're not going to sit with somebody and just, like, sit with them. Hey, you know, you're a sinner. They're like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, let me tell you about it, son. And then you have this amazing conversation, and they get say they get the they get saved right on the spot. Like, that would be awesome. But here's the thing. That's not always really how it works. It actually rarely happens like that. So you know what it is? It's every single time you are with somebody. Here's the question that you should ask yourself. Are they closer to Christ after being with you than they were before? Are they closer to Christ after being with you than they were before? You don't got to, like, go in and just beat them over the head with a baseball bat. But your aim should be to share the gospel with them. And the question is, what if I don't share this message? Verse 21, for, we, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Christ became sin on your behalf so that you may be reconciled. And because of that, you could take that message to other people. And when you refuse to take that message to other people, then what you are doing is you are taking the blood of Christ and you are showing it to be worthless. It's not worth it. It's enough to save me, but it's not worth anyone else. When we refuse to share the gospel, we make the sacrifice of Jesus to have been in vain. 
See, I, I love to play football, and I'm almost done. So bear with me. I used to, I love to play football, right? And uh, I played football my entire life growing up, and, and, um, and even like now, getting to be with Seminole High School and, and seeing these kids that are like, some of them are just like flipping big, son. But like, you know, you see them, and like, even when you're like, you're like, you see these guys, and like, you look across the field, and like, this is, there's this kid who's like six, seven, 250, solid muscle, looks like he has like three kids and a mortgage, and you're like, oh my gosh, right? And you're like, that guy is flipping terrifying. And you know what's hilarious? That a lot of times you see that, and, and, and like you, you see him, and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy's like super like, like freaking me out right now. And, but what happens is, is that when the game starts, he doesn't even play. Like he looks amazing. Like he gets off the bus, and you're like, yo, son, they got some monsters over there. But then when the game starts, he does nothing. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians that are like that. They look great. They look awesome. But they do nothing. And when you have a relationship with Jesus and you don't share the gospel, you're just like that guy. You may look great. You're on the team. That's awesome. But you are providing nothing to the goal, to the mission. There's a quote, I don't remember who said it, maybe some of you remember it, but it says, every Christian is either a missionary or they're an imposter. You're either a missionary or you're an imposter. If you are here and you, have, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that you absolutely can. What does Paul say? Be, be made right with God. Anyone can be made right with God. It's available to us. It's free. All we do is we receive it by faith. And the reason that we plead with people, the reason that our heart is for people to be saved is because that's the heart of the one that we represent. The reason that we love people and we don't want them to go to hell, the reason we want people to be saved is because the, per the one that we represent, he wants them to be saved. He wants you to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. John 3.16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And that is what our lives should be about. But yes, we look forward to eternity, and that's what gives us a hope for a future. That's when, when things are difficult, I can be excited anyway, knowing that God has eternity for me but while we are here that is what we are here for and if you don't do it you're wasting your time you know what you don't you, you know what you can't change the whole world I hate to break that to you but you know what you can do you can change the whole world of one person you could change the world of one person. And what if, for the rest of 2020, you said, you know what? This one person, I'm going to invest every day that I have to share the gospel with that person, whether it be because I'm praying for them or I'm talking to them or whatever it is. By the end of 2020, that person will hear the gospel. Invest into one person. Be faithful with what God's given you, knowing that he has saved you so that you can point others to how they can be saved. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the fact that you have saved me. I thank you that you have done what I could not do myself. You have given me freely that which I could never purchase. 
And God, I ask that you would give me the boldness, give me the, the, the courage to step up and to understand that you have given me everything that I could possibly need to take this message to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Father, I thank you and I praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students.